Welcome. We're back. What are we back to do? I mean, well, actually, you can see that because you are looking in your podcast scrumbler and you see that we're covering Luther. Luther. The Idris Elba vehicle that is just something to it. It's the detective that has almost superpowers. Well, maybe not, but he is a great detective. And we decided to bring the band back together again. The super band. And cover this, uh, another maybe broken hero. Let's start it out. We got Devin Higgins. I promise there will be no use of bad accents in the recording of this podcast. Jason Johnson? How's it going, guys? Is it Sean Shibley? Wait, we're doing Luther? Crap, I watched Lucifer. I'm sure it's going to be okay. Oh. (laughs) And Eric Scott? What's all this then? (laughs) (laughs) Without the accent, it just doesn't work. It it just kind of makes you sound a little, uh, a little special. Yeah, I can't do accents to save my life, so I'll, I'll spare everybody from that, uh, that that travesty. That's quite all right. And so this is going to work slightly different. I'm taking simply a figurehead introductory role, and then I'm going to ship this off over to Mr. Higgins to lead our discussion about Luther episodes one through three, a little trifecta, if you will. Okay, so... I think where we should start with this is kind of why we're talking about Luther now. And season one of Luther actually came out back in 2010, and then they did uh, three subsequent series between then and 2015. The reason why we're talking about it now is that the BBC is currently recording season five of Luther in the UK, and that is due to be coming out later this year. So we kind of figured it'd be a good idea to go back to the beginning and work our way up and get to the point where uh, we'll have a couple of months to spare by the time we get this done before the, the fifth season of Luther comes out. But Mose, I know in your case, you and I kind of started watching it around the same time. So... Um, and I know the other guys are, are kind of new to it. So if we can, just kind of give me your two cents. How did you find Luther and what was it about it initially that was appealing to you? Well, you know, I've always been fascinated by the BBC breakdown of how they do shows. And I think I had heard something about it, it probably in passing, like, oh, wow, you know, here's a detective drama out of the UK. And that always... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very fond of detective shows, number one, and there's something about um, law enforcement and those type of stories outside of the U.S. I'm, you know, we're so inundated in this peak TV era that everything in America kind of sounds the same. It all has the same sort of template. And not to say this show breaks uh, some of the American norms, but... Because of their legal system, it's different, and that I enjoy. And there's something about Idris Elba that really fascinates me. Um, I think he's probably easily one of my favorite, maybe top 20 actors um, around. He emotes something like bulletproof and at the same time super vulnerable. Um, And I think, I mean... I've always been, been, you know, fascinated with broken characters. I mean, we are the broken boys for, uh, you know, all intents and purposes here. So when you have 
these kind of hard-boiled um onion level characters it just it just fascinated me and then from the jump like i i watched episode one you know back in i don't know i, I you said 2010 i don't think i watched it then it could have been i mean time is so you know flexible at this point um i think when i saw saw that first one i was like wow this has a lot to it i mean it's almost a movie in and of itself and and the twists and turns it takes with the characters that we'll learn about learn about now i think that really just fascinated me uh and and so that's why i moved moved forward with it and just was kind of hooked okay and eric sean jason what about you i mean what was your you know was this your first foray into Luther, or were you familiar with it by reputation, or, or how did you guys... How, what was your initial impression so far of what you've seen? So ever since Stringer Bell, I've been a huge Idris Elba fan. Mm. Um, he was my first secret Brit. <laughs> um, you know, uh, when you see an Amer- a British actor in American television, and then you don't know the British until you see them out of character. Um, so I've been aware of Luther for a while. It's always been on my to-watch list, but... Um, I just hadn't gotten around to it. Yeah, and kind of the same vein for me. I mean, it's it's been in my Netflix recommendations list for years, but it's just never managed to be one I actually paid attention to. And I honestly haven't watched that much BBC TV. I've watched a couple episodes of Sherlock, but that's pretty much it. So the whole short uh, season presentation is kind of odd, but I've only watched the first three episodes that we're actually covering today and I've enjoyed it so far. It's definitely a different take. So it's kind of a neat, like as, as it was mentioned, different, different way to approach a crime show from what we're used to. Yeah. It kind of same for me. I, I kind of saw the previews on BBC America, you know, when I was watching Dr. Who and other things and like, Oh, you know, that's one of those cool shows I should probably watch. And like most things that I don't have time to watch it. And then when we suggested it for this, I'm like, yeah, I, I've wanted to watch it for years. Let's give it a go. And yeah, like, like Jason, I've only seen the first three episodes and, you know, from like the first couple of scenes of the first episode, I was hooked. I mean, this, this is pretty good. Plus it took me a while to forgive Neil Cross for the Rings of Akaton. Yeah. As we go through this series, we're going to find out there's actually a lot of overplay with Doctor Who in various capacities. And I had forgotten that Neil Cross had written the Rings of Akaton being a Doctor Who fan. And I know Jason Snell was talking on the TV talk machine on Friday, him and Tim Goodman, about the latest Neil Cross series, which I guess has not been as well received as Luther has. But why don't we get into episode one now? Because we have three hours of TV to cover and not three hours of time to talk about it. So why don't we just jump into episode one, which actually jumps in midstream with a chase. And we get the opening scene of a man running through a factory frantically trying to get away and then there's a man and and i love how the if there's one defining characteristic i think about john luther physically it's the way he walks because i don't think john luther walks like any man i have ever seen on the street ever and it's this drawn out cat and mouse game to the top of this abandoned factory where you have the classic standoff between a bad guy and a good guy Except by the time it's over, we're not entirely sure who the good guy is, are we? No, yeah. and I don't think the characters are sure who the good guy is either. Yeah, Luther has this imposing bow-leggedness. 
and it's just like he he would he could tackle you in 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 just in a, a, a split second I, or or hug you it, it could be either way it's like whatever's inside him is barely contained by his flesh and he's like straining to not explode that's how i saw it right now we should establish the crime that in in the opening uh here where it's a man named henry madsen and he has a hostage a young girl somewhere in a house in the london suburbs and this gives us a chance to meet some of the supporting cast for this first season there's luther's boss uh, rose teller and then there's another inspector his name's ian reed they're outside the house and teller's looking at reed saying well her oxygen ran out two minutes ago and reed's trying to reassure her, saying well john says she's here so she's got to be here now they're waiting for the information from Luther on where she is, and Luther's waiting to find out if she's still alive. And when we have that standoff between Madsen and Luther at the top of this rickety gantry, of course, it gives way. And now you have Henry Madsen hanging there literally by the skin of his fingertips, and Luther's trying to get the answers from him. How did you kind of gauge this scene and how, I mean, it's intense from the word go. But how well do you think they were able to sustain it through this opening, which is about five, six minutes long? I mean, I thought they did a pretty good job with it. Uh, you know, they, they kept cutting back and forth with the different scenes. And, and of course, you know, the big twist is, you know, you think, okay, after, the, after he's, like, trying to get the guy to tell him, you know, where the girl is, and the, then, he's, of course, he's going to pull him up. Nope. <laughs> so. Yeah, from yeah. the from the get go, they definitely, you know, go against expectations and, and kind of set up the the tone of the show. Yeah, that he's not going to follow the rules the way in which we anticipate that you would. You get the information, you get the guy handcuffs, done deal in the car, and this is a you know as you would want an explanation of character within the first few minutes so you understand who it is we're dealing with right and this is not luther's first go around with the victims of henry madsen and he's talking about that after they find the girl in the wall and resuscitate her and that's the point where yeah in in any other procedural cop show you would expect the cop to pull him up or you would expect him to go somewhat vigilante and stomp on his fingers and force him to drop here it's ambiguous enough where you know the motivation why behind why Luther's not picking him up and when you see Henry finally let go and fall and he hits the ground there's that moment afterwards where Luther is visibly shaken and is kind of going in all directions at once and to your part uh Mose about Idris Elba as an actor you know, he does the physical side of this so well, and obviously he does the brooding side of John Luther really well. But as we see both in the opening and once we get into that first scene afterwards in the psychiatric ward, a couple months after all this played out, we see a very different Idris Elba, really, than I've seen in any other uh, story or, or TV or a show or movie that he's ever done. So I was really worried doing this scene, right? Because I was afraid this was going to become another Sherlock Moriarty thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he gets away, and they keep having their sparring match throughout the series, right? 
I get enough of that with the Doctor and the Master. But the way it went, I, I, it kind of gave me a little bit of hope, which was then quickly taken away from me. How so? I'm not sure if Neil Cross understands what math or psychology are. Explain. Uh, well, skip it. I mean, I have to skip ahead to him with, uh, with, uh... Alice? Alice. That scene just made me roll my eyes so hard. Okay. Oh. Um, especially when she says, I proved, uh, uh, I proved, uh, tangent uh, minus one X. Okay. That's a, the inverse function. That's just inverse tangent. It's like saying I proved addition. Gotcha. See, math isn't my strong suit. And and if there's one thing I've observed rewatching this first season, there is a lot of it where Neil Cross is, who's the showrunner for this series, does kind of try too hard in a lot of areas. And I know there are going to be points later on that we'll get to. But getting back to this, where we have Luther in the psychiatric ward and Ian comes to, to check up on him, you know, as we've noted, Idris Elba is not a small man. He's like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, he's a big guy. But sitting there in his bathrobe and his hospital clothes, and he's just like folded into that chair, looking just off kilter. And he doesn't say a word in that opening sequence where Ian's playing him at chess. And it makes you wonder just how much this whole thing has taken out of him. Because... Well, and and that's one of my favorite things about the way this show, at least from the first little bit that I've seen of it, approaches um, Luther, is that in most of our shows, you know, a character who does something like, you know, have the the person they're chasing fall and theoretically possibly to their death, although we know it didn't happen that way. Um, you know, most of the time our characters would just be perfectly fine. But in this show, we actually get to address some of the the mental repercussions, the the psychological effects of that decision. He doesn't just brush it off and go back to work. Yeah, and a lot of popular American cop shows, they'd almost be celebrated. Exactly. And they don't really go too far into into the psychological impact of stuff like this. So, Yeah, the, the PTSD action. Now, let's just say this. Guys, the Netflix version of this does not have this scene where he's in the institution. Really? Correct. Yeah, that was that was actually the first call out I had, you know, in my notes of of review was what where was this scene was because when I first watched it I didn't see that. Wow. Okay. It, that, and it's really abrupt because I forgot about that completely and the introduction to Ian. And as we're talking about it, I'm just like, wait a oh, minute. I, this I, is the one I didn't see because it's literally stops. Um whatchamacallit, he goes down. Uh, falls, and then cut to seven months later. So you know why that is, right? No. Do tell. Um, because the BBC doesn't run ads, but the international version, the ep the episodes were factored for a BBC hour. They had to be cut down to a standard hour. Ah, yeah, that would do it, because I have the I have the original versions of them, so I have everything uncut. So that's disappointing that, that Netflix went with the the international feed. I understand why they did, but at the same time, if that means people are missing out on some of the nuances and, and other kind of sub scenes that, that make this show what it is, then that's, that's frustrating. So yeah, it is because that, that, that tells us that Luther can be broken. Yeah. 
And it also gives a, a little bit of uh, aspect that, that Ian's looking at when they're playing chess, and he says, this may turn out to be the first time I actually beat you. So we know that John is, is smart outside of his physical prowess, and now we get a chance once he gets out of the, the psych ward, and we now have a new crime scene. And the crime scene is... And for a first episode, it's always one where I'm looking at it going, okay, well, you have to start the story somewhere. And I can see Neil Cross going, okay, I need a crime scene. So it's a rural house, and we have two people dead, one in their bed, and then there's a, a man who's slumped over a desk, both shot. There's a dog dead on the floor, and it looks like it definitely got the brunt of whatever the attack was that preceded its death. And there's a woman on the phone calling emergency services, and she's covered in blood. And when the police arrive, she's standing out front waiting for them, and there was an interesting thing I caught where her hand is twitching and she's holding the phone. So clearly she's in shock, and she's explained that the woman in the bed's her mom, and the guy over the desk is her dad. And now we have to figure out what's going on from there. But it's a fairly quick scene. It only takes a couple of minutes to get this done. Um, what was your impression of it? I mean, I felt like it was a fairly standard scene, um, give, pushing us into a new narrative. I uh, all I knew was, oh, okay, so this is this is how um, I want to say how crimes are done in the UK. Uh, you know, because I, I can only represent that. It's like, okay, you dial nine nine nine, and like literally, you know, you get a ton of response. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, interesting. I know it's TV, but I'm assuming that there's some play of fact and some somebody did their due diligence in their writing that this is the way things go. It, it comes to kind of the a different sensibility towards violence in general that the British have. Um, let's just say your average American is less shocked and horrified upon hearing about a murder than your average Brit would be. Yes. Yeah, I'd agree. At with least that. we can assume that. Mm -hmm. But also, when you look at it, for most crime shows, you're usually trying to um, establish kind of like a big baddie up front, and this just seems like a standard, for lack of a better term, domestic situation. So, I appreciate the fact that that Neil Cross at least didn't go all guns blazing right in the first episode and try and make this huge bad guy like a Moriarty to Luther Sherlock. Uh, that we have to deal with over the course of this six-episode first season. Now, speaking of Luther, while this is going on, where do we find him? He's out of the loony bin, and he's right back where he was when he decided to go in, sitting on that gantry, looking down at where Henry Madsen fell. And we find out from Rose Teller, who comes in and, of course, finds him there, that John's been cleared. Board of Inquiry came back and said, given the exceptional circumstances, there was no ground for him to be disciplined. And then the question is, you're back if you want it. And Luther, of course, says, I want it. Was Ian his partner before in seven months ago? And that's why we now have um, DCI Riley. I don't know. They don't really establish that that Ian is his partner. It's more that they are, I, I would suspect that they're both the longest serving men on the squad, but they're of equal rank. So I would assume that they've worked, they have a working history, and obviously as we see through these three episodes, they have a friendly history with each other. 
Um, but they never really made it cut and dry that they were uh, partners. Well, okay. remember uh, the what, the if Luther says it's if Luther says he's there, then he's there in the first scene, right? So it does show that they have a high level of at mm-hmm. least respect for his abilities. Yeah, and somebody and, who, and let's just say we do get subverted because Alice is our big bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, she is. When he's questioning and, her. And yes. apparently he's Mr. Psychology because she didn't yawn. Anybody who had just seen their parents killed would be in some form of shock. Of course, their, uh, of course their uh, autonomic reflexes would be stilted. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and <laughs> that is something that he tells her at the beginning when they're first interviewing. Uh, he's first interviewing her saying, you know, you're in shock. So your body's going to respond in, in weird ways. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to... We'll get to that because there is a lot of stuff in that whole middle part of this episode that is a uh, something that you it it won't avoid close scrutiny. Uh, but in the meantime, we find out two more things about Luther. He's got a new partner, DS Justin Ripley, and we find out that Luther is married, and that hasn't been going very well, has it? Yeah, nope, apparently, it's I guess apparently when, yeah, when he had his little mental break or what, you know, little holiday, whatever you want to call it, that, yeah, I guess his wife uh, decided to step out on him, so to speak. Right, I did like his... It must have happened, yeah, it, it just seems like it must have happened prior to the events of Madsen, like they had already been uh, separated. Am yeah. I right? See, I didn't get that. I thought that they were, the separation was, was during the, the period after Madsen. Yeah, uh, that was the that was the impression yeah. I got. I don't think it would have upset him so much if he didn't if he had already. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Indra Verma, one chance I have to see her, I'll take. Right. Yeah, and and I've seen her from uh, most people nowadays know her from Game of Thrones, where she plays um, one of the Sand Snakes, the the yep. matriarch of the Sand Snakes of Dorne. Totally from uh, Rome for me. Yeah, and I the first time I saw her was in the first season of Torchwood which was five years before this. So um, I did like how when Teller asked him about Zoe, all Luther's response was, well, it was a trial separation and I tried it, but I didn't like it. And then we meet Ripley, who is this young guy that for most people, they, they wouldn't know who Warren Brown was. If you picked him out of a lineup, he's the actor who plays uh, DS Ripley. And he seems like a fairly cherubic young somewhat ambitious guy because as he explains to Luther, he put in the request to be paired with him nine months earlier and he chased it up three times a week in writing. What were your initial impressions of uh, young D.S. Ripley? Yeah, just kind of like your, your eager like, you know, the new guy and I guess he wants to get paired with like the best or one of the better guys of the department so I guess that's why I kept asking over and over again, you know, to get paired with Luther. Yeah, I think at this point he's your vanilla junior cop, but it'd be nice to, to see where that goes. But right now it's kind of a... Yeah, uh, again, he, his appearance really worried me because uh, in my head, first time I saw him, I was saying, okay, that's Exposition Man. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. Okay. I, I think I think he just liked to... He really, more than anything, it's like... At least it seems as though he is very much a rookie in this. He, he was, he's been promoted in and like, why not um, 
you know, put your horse with a, a quote, maybe legend, and and to get more insight on how things work, and and to see how you know a veteran works the field. Right. Well, and we don't take too long to figure out how they're going to start working together because they have to go back and walk through the scene, and we find out that uh, Alice Morgan's parents were sleeping in separate beds, which Ripley took to observe that sometimes separate beds make a happy marriage. And that piques Luther's interest. I mean, how do you see how Luther kind of acts with Ripley now that they're, they're on the case uh, now that they're getting going? Um, well, he, he was kind of like a teacher too, in some respects, because the first time they walk in, he, he tells him to like put his hands in his pockets. That way he won't be tempted to touch something and mess up the crime scene. So, just one thing that hit me. Maybe not the best idea to send a guy who's been so traumatized over a death that he spent seven months into a mental institution to a murder scene his first day back. Yeah, but he's Luther. Who better? He the guy the guy's been in knee deep in the blood. Let's let him in. We gotta start you him out somewhere, show, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I'm we just... can't we can't we can't start him on bike patrol. But back, I would have totally to watched that. <laughs> <laughs> back, back to Ripley, though, I did I did kind of like that approach because it gave us a way, exposition man or not, it gave us a way to see how Luther approaches a crime scene and what his thought process is and, and how he's going to go about his his um, analysis of a crime as he explains it to the junior man so that you can the viewer can see this is how this guy is actually going to approach his crime scenes. It's kind of, you know, I... I not not that the shows have anything in common, but I kind of liken it to uh, the the TV show Psych, where you kind of see the things highlighted that he's picking out as he observes them. And see, I was thinking like Profiler, and he seems to somehow get into the head and look at, at you know, they oftentimes will reference looking at it from a different angle and changing the state of play. And this is the one thing about Luther and this happens here and it happens in a couple other places. I liken it to House MD. Except for the fact that House MD, again, a hidden Brit, um, will oftentimes figure out a a symptom or a piece of evidence that we ne- not necessarily call back to. Like we should have already heard something. A lot of times it's inside Luther's head, which we don't have access to. So he says, oh, no, it's not this at all. It's this. And that becomes almost kind of Sherlock Holmesian if you don't have the mind palace, where he's actually piecing these things together because it's like, oh, no, it's all wrong. There's too many shots fired into the dog. Why is that? Why do that? And they're both Sherlock. That's a great example because those are both Sherlock archetypes, right? I mean, those are both both derivatives of the Sherlock Holmes approach. So. Mm-hmm. Right. And now, and, and we're going to jump into Alice uh, Alice Morgan here really quick. But before we do, really fast, we get a chance to get an understanding of the relationship between Luther and his wife Zoe. And to Sean's point earlier, we find out that Zoe has a new man in her life. And the new man in her life, if you've ever watched this show and you're a Doctor Who fan, it's Paul McGann, the Eighth Doctor. And who can say no to the Eighth Doctor? Uh, didn't a lot of people say no to him? <laughs> yeah, he only, <laughs> only if you well, don't listen. The, the, only if the, you don't the, listen the, to the Big Finish stuff, which is fantastic, by the way. Yeah. 
Or at least the US TV execs didn't like him, but everybody else did. Right. Now, let's get to Alice Morgan. When we see Alice Morgan next, she is sitting in the interrogation room. She's in a what looks like a windbreaker suit because obviously all of her clothes are slathered in blood. And we get her chance to sit down with Luther and figure out who Alice Morgan is. And Alice Morgan is played by Ruth Wilson, who, for me, was really the hidden gem in this first series. Oh, for sure. Most people would know her from The Affair. Yes. Which I have not seen yet, in part because I liked her so much in this. I worry that that's going to diminish it if I don't like her in The Affair. Take a hard pass unless you want to see her naked. Yeah. Okay. Um... The uh, the affair commits the cardinal sin of TV shows, so I wouldn't watch it. Right. Well, and also it has Dominic West, and to your point, Sean, about The Wire, he was obviously in The Wire. So, but, And Hidden Brit. And a Hidden yes, Brit. <laughs> another Hidden Brit. So let's go through this really fast. What did you take of this interrogation? I know, Sean, you mentioned you had scruples about how he comes to the conclusion that Alice Morgan is the suspect, but everything leading up to that, what did you guys think of it? I mean, I guess at first I didn't think, or I didn't realize that she was to be like the big bad, or at least of this episode, or of, I guess of the, of the season, I guess we'll, we'll see, but I did kind of like, like the back and forth where he, you know, he's, he's trying to probe her, you know, she's, you know, just kind of acting like you know, oh, I'm the I'm the victim here, and you know, then you kind of like, no, there's something something behind her eyes. It's, it's not right, and it was good to see them going back and forth and see like how how he got to the point where he thought that she did it. Which yeah, to their, Sean's point, yeah, okay, maybe not, but it was kind of interesting. I did see. I did like. I I, I don't know how to explain. I like the acting a lot. This scene, like. Just the- oh, it's very stripped down. I mean, you all you have is two people in a room, and they're little. He's literally playing like kind of mind chess with her. He's probing her with a pawn, and you know she's she's kind of just knocking some some things down. I likened it only to um, if you could have that kind of conversation with uh, like a Hannibal Lecter. Like I immediately kind of saw that in her. Like, whoa, if she did it. You know, she's extremely like like that whole thing in Silence of the Lambs when his his blood pressure or his pulse never never rose above 60 while he was, you know, beating guys dead. I can see I could see that in her, which is kind of interesting because a credit to the actress. You can see the instant she falls in love with Luther. Yeah, there's with two people in a confined space to make this scene work. What you obviously need is chemistry. And from the off, it seems impossible to deny that Idris Elba and Ruth Wilson create instant chemistry between these two people who are on polar opposite ends of personality, the way they live their lives, everything. But that spark is established in this scene. And I thought to that point, whatever the the writing flaws and, and kind of logical leaps that that Luther makes. And I agree with you, Sean, the fact that he comes back and immediately says she didn't do it because she didn't yawn. 
I've watched this first episode multiple times, and even I'm still going, wait a minute, that's a heck of a jump to make right now. And then he immediately turns around and identifies Alice as a malignant narcissist. It's like, where did that come from? We, yeah. We've clearly skipped some levels here. Yeah, the script told him. Yeah. Yes. I want yeah, his superpower skip- to be, I can read five minutes ahead in the script. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. Script reading aside, though, I, I will definitely second that I think they did a really good job in the acting of setting up the connection, uh, which we call back to constantly, uh, between these two characters and just showing how they click and how they kind of fit together as as mirrors of each other throughout the season, the, at least the half and I think that's the why, Yeah, I think that's why I overlook some of these things is because if the acting wasn't so good and the 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 that it captivates me that i i just i i'm like oh i'll let it go i'll let it go you could fix a lot of script with acting yes right and now and speaking trans- of him having chemistry with an actress although in this scene i seen uh john comes off as creepy as i'll get out oh with zoe yeah yeah and and let's transition into that because actually we get a two-part ver uh uh episode here with john and zoe we have that night where he goes over to his old house to have what he refers to as the talk with with zoe and then he finds out that she's not wanting to stick around with him anymore and here is where for everything that we've seen to this point we know that john obviously is a physically intimidating guy his turger pressure is beyond the charts. Yeah. And then we see what happens when he goes off and he takes it out on a door. Yeah. My, my takeaway from that, what do they make their doors out of? Because <laughs> it may as well be paper. He just shredded it. Yeah. That wasn't good old English oak. I think that was uh, uh, slightly English balsa wood. Hey, That's right. It was I- Ikea door. If, if Heimdall takes issue with a door, I don't think what it may, is made of matters. It's doomed. Very That's true. Right. But the way that this scene plays out, where you see John just turn on a dime when she tells him that this isn't going to end the way you want it to, and that she's seeing somebody else, and just how unhinged he goes, and the fact that he can't figure out the why of it. And we find that out the next day when he goes back to Zoe's office and makes a scene. And that's the question he has. I just need to know why. And that leads into what I think is probably my favorite line in the entire four seasons of this series where she comes back and tells him, you know, you're always looking for a reason why, but not everything has a motive. And he comes right back and says, that's not true. Everything has a reason. There are physical laws. And it's the first time I've ever seen an actor convey that or a storyteller try and convey that in so succinct a manner. What what was your takeaway from it? Okay, now everybody go first. Well, well I, I think like the, but the okay, good, Jason. No, <laughs> I was just gonna say it. It definitely does a, does a good job of summing up the, the character's approach. Once again, we're there, this, as a first episode, we're getting a lot of insight into how he approaches life and crimes and just his attitude and how he sees the world around him. 
And so you get just completely spelled out for you right here. There are physical laws. Everything has a reason. That's how I'm going to progress. Yeah, I was going to say, it's kind of like the, the thing where, like, you know, he, he's really good at his job at, like, reading other people or, or figuring out other people's motives, but he can't figure out his own wife. So it's like, is he really spending more time with her or more time with his job? Like, is, it, is he more of the job than a husband? I don't not? think they want to go there necessarily. I mean, that, that's a very American thing to just spell out. Oh, oh, it's your job. And in fact, I don't know if it's this episode or the next. He talks about, am I boring? Yeah, it's this and scene. And she says, yeah, and she's, yeah, and she says, you know, you're not boring. But it's, it's this idea that, like, you know, you know me. There's no, there's two separate people. There's no, uh, the Americanized version, which is, oh, you're just your job. You never shut off, that kind of thing. And it seems like, you know, there are, their relationship at least is never um, interfered with by the job. And I think that maybe, and I'm going way out on a limb here, I think that there's a true division of work and social in the European culture. I, I don't know that for a fact. But, you, but I want to go out on a limb. You do get the line, you care more about the dead than the living. So mm. it is at least somewhat thrown out there that, that his. He, he's split in how he, he deals with things. Right. And yeah. when the one thing that I, I did really, really like about this, uh, about this part of the season was in establishing all this, we get a very clear understanding that John holds himself to a higher standard, but he is so flawed in terms of how he goes about things because he locks in on his caseload and his job as a policeman. That's the last thing he says before he walks out. He just looks at her very, very matter of frankly and just says, I'm a policeman. And you can see almost the disappointment on Zoe's face where she has to acknowledge the fact that, yeah, her now ex-husband or soon to be ex-husband is a policeman. And that takes priority over everything else. And she's seen what it did to him. Um, This scene um, going on a little bit of a tangent, but in a very recent issue of Batman, uh, Batman and Catwoman are getting married, and Talia al Ghul doesn't take too kindly to this, so Talia al Ghul and Catwoman sword fight over Batman. Mm. And as, having... as one are, uh, as they're prone, prone to do. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, Catwoman asks Talia, why do, you want, why do you want him? And she says, well, he's the greatest man on Earth, the only person fit for me. To which Catwoman literally breaks down laughing, saying... He's so broken. He's this is a guy who's devoted his life to a promise he made when he was 10. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you bring that up, Sean, because while watching, I think somewhere in episode 3 or maybe ep- near the end of episode 2, I thought, you know who would make a great Batman? Idris Elba. I see a lot of similarities between these two characters. Um because a lot of time like most of the TV's adaptations because, uh, you know, Batman is he is also the world's greatest detective, and we don't really get that in TV shows, and this, I kind of feel, is Detective Batman. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, let's let's follow that thread, because now we've seen John as a broken person, we've seen John trying to kind of rebuild himself, now we see him as a detective, because he understands the way to get Alice Morgan is he has to find the gun that killed her parents. 
but nobody knows where it is except John figures out where it is. How did you guys take that that process of him going from where we find out that Ripley gives him news about the gun to where we get to the end of this episode and how he determines that Alice is guilty? So It's a plastic gun. This we is, find that out. It's a Glock. This is here something that I guess Neil Cross doesn't know how guns work or what guns are. Because, first of all, <laughs> who doesn't know what a Glock 26 is? It's literally the most popular concealed carry weapon in the world. And I know England's not too big on, on uh, guns, but he's still a police officer. And seriously, everyone knows what a Glock 26 is, right? And his claim is fallacious on its face. What is the polycarbonate frame of a Glock designed to do? What is it I, don't, I assume to do? it's not to make it just lightweight. I thought it was originally to make it really concealable, especially when you apply the ceramic barrel. It's to make it narrower, but it's also designed to contain explosions. Gotcha. Okay. Right? So you think melting might be a little bit of a problem if it melted easily. Yeah, the fact that he takes the blowtorch to it and immediately says it it's melting, I was like, yeah. It's going to take a bit more than that to to get that sort of material to melt. I mean, I am far and away not a gun nut, uh, or at least somebody who knows the the finer details. Like I don't, I couldn't tell you a Glock twenty six from any other model of Glock. But when I was looking at that, I'm like, okay, again, this is where Neil Cross is like, I'm going to put him five minutes ahead of everybody else, and I'm going to put the story five minutes ahead because if he spends all that time burning that with a torch. We're going to be here a while. Right. And well, the, the, the illusion of this is that the parents both got single shots to the head, but the dog got four shots to the head. Yeah. yeah. So I, I kind of knew, knew at that point that the, the dog, you know, that she, she had put the, the gun in the dog, but I didn't go, well, you know, realize at the end, I guess, where she had taken it apart and slowly put it in there. And then, and then of course, when they cremate the dog, I guess the guy's putting the ashes into the urn, didn't realize, oh, look, there's some gun parts in here. But well, yeah. And that was my yeah. takeaway is, is what, what kind of um, cremation process do these people have where you don't notice springs and barrels and, and I mean, that, gun parts in the ashes? I, I mean, actually buy that because, I mean, you're not going through the ashes. You're just dumping them in a bag and putting the next one in. However, but a barrel? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a bunch of ashes the- going to have something in it. It, it. If it's not on the top, I... I, I don't know this for a fact. This is this is this is um, Moe's looking at film and using that as truth. I remember a scene from a movie. Don't know what movie, but somebody got cremated, and they took those resulting ashes and then had a hammer to break down any uh, bigger pieces, obviously bone, uh, down to a uh, a more manageable size. If that's the case, now this is a dog, not a human. I don't know. I don't know all the intricacies. Uh, you can tweet at us, uh, those who are in the cremation field. Um, but what I'm curious, I, I would think that that's when you would notice. Again, these are we are really nitpicking the hell out of it. However, I feel like the it's it's one of those things where Luther knows way beforehand, and we feel like. Whoa, whoa, did we just get cheated, or is he amazing? And there's there's a very fine line in there. Yeah. and Yeah, absolutely. And here's the thing, I mean, 
every time he makes a jump, there's always a more plausible answer <laughs> that's offered to him. And he's like, no, no, it's this thing. Because the guy's like, dog, scary, big, loud, bitey. You know? Yeah. He'll shoot it. Or, and that's, that is a much simpler explanation. Right. I do like how Teller explains to him once he comes up with the idea that she says, you know, the magistrate's not going to simply accept the gun was in the dog for them going and arresting her. Um, <laughs> but See, but I think they would. They could. I mean, it... Anything. I mean, if, if he kept the evidence later, which he didn't, you know, like if he after you know, we're jumping ahead, like after he gets the urn and it's like, oh look, there's a gun part. I mean, that to me is. I mean, I don't think it's it's more than circumstantial at that point. Yeah. And honestly, it's a gun was in the dog. He can't prove it was the gun after it's been through what it's been through. And right. Alice even says that. Yeah. So at that point, you can't prove that that was the gun that killed the parents. So yeah, I guess that's. Well, grounds where yeah, you, you would get off on that technicality. Well, and let's get to the standoff on the bridge, because I thought the standoff on the bridge, despite the, the again, the structure of how we get to these sort of conclusions, it reaffirms the undeniable chemistry between these two people, where you have Alice with a knife in John's stomach, basically saying, don't drop that, and John knowing that he can't arrest her, and it's not about arresting her. Now he understands that he just can't let her have her trophy. He can't let her have the thing that she can look at and say, see, I got away with this. And instead Which is of like applying to her narcissism. Yeah. So um, we have that gets so- sorted out. And now we go from that to a real quick scene back with... Um, Zoe and Luther at their house where we get a little bit of fisticuff between Mark and Luther. And this seemed like it was tacked on at the end of it just to have it tacked on. But we get that little bit on the way out where he's he puts in that phone call to Alice and says she's wrong, but she's at the hospital visiting somebody. And- yeah, and this this is where I'll kind of mention that that out of this whole episode, the one thought that I kept having, and it's probably pretty obvious, but it was the one that just stuck with me, is how if we're looking at Luther as a Sherlock Holmes persona, then um, Alice becomes the Irene Adler persona, mm-hmm. uh, the, the okay. woman that he's infatuated with and, and, and is his one person who kind of matches up to him on that level. And so, yeah, in that, fact, that was, and, and she says, doesn't she say something to the effect of do something, kiss me or kill me, you know, which, you know, it becomes you're, you're going to you're, you're going to love me some in some way or you're going to absolutely detest me. And those things are closer than you think. Yeah. And that sets that sets Alice on her journey where we see what she goes through and and she starts, as you see in this scene, uh, looking into and starts her own investigation of Luther. Right. And now that segues obviously into episode two, and and let's see if we can't get through these a little bit faster. So I want to say one take up thing, Go for because it. my last note is that John's a straight up stalker at this point. He is, and and that's something we're going to figure out a little bit more over these next two episodes of why his relationship with Zoe, which to me seems like the weakest part of this first series of Luther. Um, just in terms of how it was written and how it was constructed, because two people on the outside looking in were like, dang, that's creepy. He almost uh, has a better relationship with Mark, in a sense, because 
I, I can see where the end of this episode one and he is acting like a madman, but he wants to basically let Zoe go. But it's such in a ham, ham-fisted kind of way of almost anger. But but this leads us down these next two episodes between Mark and him. You know, Mark files, you know, there there's an investigation between, you know, hey, Luther, you can't do this. And you assaulted Mark. Right. Right. And then we see how Alice injects herself into that dynamic as well and uses it both as a way to put pressure on Zoe and also to toy with Luther a bit. But before that, we have the crime in episode two, which is somebody shooting cops in London. And the opening to me, I loved the efficiency of it because you just have two cops checking out a scene and this opening sequence doesn't take more than three minutes. And quickly, just like that, bang, two cops are down, man walks away, cue the intro. What did you guys take away from, from episode two? Because this is a, a lot higher tension and a much faster paced story than we had in episode one. Now that we have the characters established and now we get to see what they can all do. From from a crime standpoint, this was definitely my favorite crime of the three episodes. You know, I, I felt more interested and invested in the actual what are they trying to solve on this one. Um, even though it took a little while to kind of piece out, and there was a lot of moving parts. You know, people wise, less 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 evidence and more personality, I guess. But it it, it was it was more than it held by interest a lot more. I'll say that. Yeah, and it it does set it up right there in that initial scene where you know the guy's killing police officers. He takes he swaps one of their radios with either fake radio or whatever, so you know he's going to be listening in on the police as they're figuring out what to do about him. And you're kind of waiting for them to, to realize that same fact of like, oh my god, he's listening to our radio conversations, which um, we don't get to know until near the end, which really was frustrating. <laughs> um, so I just happened to have read the most recent Thrawn book where Thrawn pulls this exact stunt, so I, I recognized it right away. Um, but it did tell me that the person behind the gun was trained and professional. Right, and as we find out, the, the, the shooter is a former Marine commando who is the son of a former Marine commando who is in prison for life because he killed an officer like a year or two earlier. And what Luther finds out in the course of the investigation is that Owen Lynch, who's the shooter, is not your average guy. Yes, he's a former Marine veteran, and he has his own issues. I guess at one point they said his his ex-wife said he wasn't he came back a different guy than when he left, which is not uncommon, as we found out when we were reviewing The Punisher with most veterans. But. We have two different investigations going on in this episode. We have Luther trying to track down Owen Lynch and stop him. And we have Alice Morgan investigating Luther. How did you see those two storylines play out? I I think for me, what was interesting about, let's call this um, the case plot, which was that his father was pulling the strings. I was I didn't see that coming. And... The fact that Luther unraveled that in doing what I call the Gene Hackman, which is I can threaten you 
with a smile on my face. Like, there's not many actors, and now Idris Elba is kind of one of them, that can say, I'll kill you with a smile on your face, and it is as threatening as it gets. When he's threatening his father with um, uh, basically child pornography, and because he's, he's, he's known as a tough guy um, in jail, and he said, I don't have to do very much, but I can, I can dismantle you from the inside. But that, that exchange of having this father-son dynamic, and obviously, you know, I have my own things going on with father and son dynamics. So, but to see a father care so little about his son in order to, to get his way and to get his sentence reduced. Yeah, there was one instance in this where, again, we get a little bit more background into who Luther is and that those conversations he had with Terry Lynch, who, again, was played by Sean Pertwee, who is the son of John Pertwee, the third doctor. I loved that dynamic between those two, where Luther was explaining to Terry that his dad wanted him to be a tough guy, too, but he was more interested in reading and writing and meeting girls. Yeah. and. When he pulls that card of, of giving the photographs to him, for me, that was one where knowing the knowing the legal system and knowing the prison system like I do, having worked for attorneys in the past, that is something that is very, very valid, where there is an internal code of ethics, even in the prison system, among inmates. If you're there because you beat a guy up or you rob people or even if you killed somebody, most times people will leave you alone. But if you did something that involves harming a woman or if you did something that especially involves the harm of a child, that is a massive target on your back. And the fact that Luther knows that and the fact that Terry knows that and he can exploit that to get what he needs, the tension in that scene I found was excellent. What did you guys take from it? Well, and then, but then you also have um, Alice, who will not just she she will go to that level and then some, like sticking a needle into Zoe's ear as a threat. I mean, she will go to the next degree. I mean, we haven't seen Luther. Well, we kind of see him do it, but she will, where where Luther can has has to stop with the law. She can go way. She can use a lot more pressure to in her investigation. And yeah, although at, you, you, you do kind of think that Luther might actually have gone, you know, it seems like he'll do what he needs to do, even if it's questionable or gray area mm-hmm. or even even cross the line in that respect of, you know, trying to frame the guy for child porn or later as he, he ignores the his commander saying, like, you know, the, this has been turned over to other people, you know, we're out of it. He's like, no, they're killing cops. I'm going to go deal with this. You know, I don't care. And and looking at Owen Lynch, the actual um, son who's the shooter in this episode, uh, they did a good job of showing how just mentally scarred he was. Uh, one of the one of the scenes that I kind of caught on to up front is one of the first times you see him uh, sans the dark you know shooting scene is the uh, he's sitting there watching TV, eating a can of beans out of eating pans out of eating beans out of a can, and that just kind of uh, flashed me back to the Watchmen, you know, with, with Rorschach doing that and i was thinking you know that kind of sets his his mind frame that you know going in that this is a, a mentally damaged individual yeah and he depraves himself to maintain focus right 
Yeah, and and the way he's portrayed, and I don't know the actor who who played him, um, but like when he shoots the second shooting with the cop in the middle of the tower block, where he just walks up, draws the gun, shoots, and his face is so blank. Where and and that's one of the things I I really really do like about this series, and we'll find out as the episodes continue where the people they pick to be the resident uh, uh, criminal for each episode. They picked some really, really good ones to to play off of Luther. Um, and in the meantime, you still have Alice Morgan in the background doing her, her homework. And then there's that scene where after John has called Zoe to let her know that Alice is probably going to pay her a visit, we get that back and forth with her and Mark where Mark is still questioning it and is trying to be the rational voice like we understand about, do you not think this is more than just a little bit creepy? And then Alice shows up and we get that Q&A down in, in the basement of their house. I loved that part. Yeah, I, I love that scene. I will say this is kind of about the part where I thought that, that Mark should, should kind of get on board and start thinking about the world around him a little bit more because <laughs> come the next, and we'll see this more in the next episode, but it's like he's just refusing to accept the the environment that he's actually in and the things that are actually happening and just can I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean so much so that he is like, "Wait a minute, Luther's lying to you. He you don't you don't need to do what he says. He's some sort of Neanderthal. He you know, he's just trying to um, emote power over you." And while that I I can I can I can get into Mark's head with that and understand him, he you're absolutely right. He does. He is totally naive to the world of Zoe and Luther. Yeah, because if someone calls me and says, "Hey, some some crazy woman is going to come," you know, do know who knows what to you. You know, you should leave. I'm like, okay, bye. I'm not going to be like, oh no, we should stay because obviously he's just playing some psychological game. No, he's a cop. He's not going to pull this kind of trick. It's just kind of like, dude, you're going to get it. <laughs> and and yeah. even if you think that up front, once she showed up and she's in your kitchen. You know, from then on, maybe you should give some credence to it, you know? Oh, and she's so creepy in there, too. Just drinking mm-hmm. their wine. Ugh. Oh, yeah, that's, that actress sells it. She 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 nails it. Yeah, and, and even what she's asking Zoe about why she doesn't want to be married to John anymore, and you see the interplay between Indira Varma and Ruth Wilson. Those Those little moments between actors in this series, you get it, and it's just so palpable. The way it's done. Well, and let me just move on to to episode three for a second, because it's kind of indicative is Mark and Alice have a conversation mm-hmm. and he he says, well, what if I say no? And she <laughs> said, well, I'll get up and I'll leave, but I'll come back. It's one and night I'll know. come back. It was oh. so creepy. <laughs> yeah, by the middle of episode two. I was pretty much completely disinterested in the A plot and only really interested in Alice. Yes. That, right. And that's that I think that there that's where maybe some of these episodes I think have a better balance than others. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and with the quickly the end of episode two where the A plot resolves with a high stakes game of Russian roulette. Mm. What did you guys take from that? I I, I always 
hate that kind of stuff. It's just because you, 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 you know Luther or the, the, the protagonist is not going to get it. But I mean, but you know, acting wise, though, I mean, you know, Idris sold it. I mean, he yeah. looked like he was panicking. Looked like he was. I mean, the, the expression on his face, terror, terror, whatever you want to call it. I mean, he he sold it. And then, of course, we all know. Okay, you get to the fifth bullet. Oh, click, nothing there. Well, the next one's going to do it. And that's, of course, when they you know knock the guy out and resolve the situation. But up until yeah. that point, both they're, they're two. They play well off each other. It was it was amazing acting. So, Not to sound negative on that that scene, but yeah, I kind of agree. It might have worked if they'd stopped at you know bullet three, maybe bullet four. But when you go all the way to bullet five and six, you're kind of like running out of bullets. In my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> well, so literally uh, and figuratively. I think the scene left me very underwhelmed, if only because I had just seen a much better version of it in Punisher between uh, Lewis and Frank. Hmm. Yeah, I would admit that that the way the A plot resolved, uh, even the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, I knew it was coming. From the second he put just the one bullet in and spun it, I'm like, okay, we're going to get down to the very end here. What would have honestly surprised me more is if Owen had put the gun to his head for the last shot and it went off. Which, being Luther's world, and what we've seen to this point, and what we're going to see going forward... Would not have been that unrealistic, I don't think. And could have put him very much deeper into uh, being suspect of not being a good cop and being actually more of a dirty cop and a vigilante. Mm. And, I mean, by episode three, that's what he is. like. Right. <laughs> I do like, as we wrap this one up really fast, just how we, we're back at the bridge with John and Alice, and they have that conversation trying to figure out what they are, and John is trying to find a way out, and then finally he just turns around and says, okay, one coffee does not make us friends. Yeah, because they were sharing a coffee on the bridge. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that this episode to end on that note, where we've had up until this point where John understands the threat that Alice is, and now... They're going to go out and have a coffee? And that is the moment I bought into this series. I was... Really? Yes. I was on the fence. I was really kind of underwhelmed. I think mainly because everybody tells me how awesome Luther is. And right, of course, right. no show really finds its way until the you know, second season. But um, I was just kind of... I was very disinterested in this episode. And then that moment, I'm like, okay, great, I'm in. And I think it's ending on these Alice Luther notes on the end of each show that tells you this is the bigger plot. They don't, you know, in effect, that is the A plot and the B plot is the crime of the episode. Mm. Yeah, I can go with that. I think that's a great way to look at it. Yeah, because like, especially in this one, like the minute you find out that's the dad and the son, you know exactly what's going to happen, how it's going to end. You can, you, you know what I mean? Like, they're not going to kill Luther, and they're not going to let a cop kill like, run around shooting people. So there's only one way this ends. Right? Do you and think then that we get? Well, go ahead. I was going to say, do you think that Alice understands John better than John understands John? Because there is that moment on the bridge where he, where she tells him what happened with Zoe and why that their relationship is never going to work. Well, and you see the, yeah, and you see the look on John's face, and he's just like, what? Yeah, he's he's she her investigation is for our benefit. She's investigating him for us. Yes. I would say that Alice understands the version of John that John fears to be 
And um, and that John's aware of it, but John's convinced himself that he's going to hold, he's going to come through to his standards and not buckle. And Alice understands that he probably will. Hmm. Well, we get a golden opportunity to see just how far John will go in this third episode. Which I gotta say, I forgot how genuinely unsettling this episode is. My wife just straight up got up and left the room. Really? Like, yeah. The first five minutes. She's just yeah. like, she's like, nope. What? Well, we, we have our first, that, yeah, that, we have that our first plays real the, psycho. Yeah, because th- th- that guy played that so well. That first scene, I was like, oh man, this guy is a creepy MF. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, the guy in question is, his name is Lucian Burgess, and he pays call to a woman with a baby. And he's posing as a police detective. And everything seems okay. And she's asking about her husband. And for one second, everything looks okay. And then he, she turns back around and looks at him. And he does this thing. The best way I can explain it is if Gene Simmons truly was demonic. And Paul Reese, the actor who played, it, played Lucian Burgess, did it. So much better. Yeah. When when a guy's performance gives me flashbacks to the killing joke, you know it's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and pulls a straight razor out to threaten her, but begins licking her face with the most pointed, vile, serpentine tongue there is, and then gives her the ultimatum of, I can leave here with you and, or just you, your baby's unharmed, or basically I'm going to make a mess of this whole house with your blood and your baby. No, he, he, the beauty of that line wasn't is the exact way he delivered it, which was, your husband can come home and find oh. you missing or you and your baby cut to pieces. There it yeah. is. And, and did, that, anybody, did anybody have an issue with the fact that this woman is so blatantly terrified, and understandably so, that she actually wets herself i mean most people most would. most shows would not put that in there but yeah. if you take into account the psychological aspect of it i can't see how anybody would look at that and go well of course i no reason why i wouldn't do the same thing if i'm looking at a guy with a straight razor to my face who just gives me that ultimatum yeah no that is uh, I I mean I noticed it and it, it I made note of it but yeah I, I I mean that is that is what would happen in that situation, right? Hey, well, in the in the soup of the story, that is extra salt and pepper in the mix that are just nice touches. Gross. Just hear me out because I don't want to be misconstrued here that like somehow that's really good stuff. But it adds so much dense material to the narrative. Again, this is the first five minutes maybe of yeah. the show before we hit hit you know so we've got to be locked in mm-hmm. and then once we get on the scene with luther we get even more shock and awe when he walks into the house and what is on the walls but blood S- script writing in blood and it's not just any blood yeah we find out that this is from a case similar case 10 years prior where Burgess was implicated in the kidnapping of a woman who had recently had a baby 
and we find out more about his background, how he was he's heavily into the occult, he's heavily into Aleister Crowley, as mentioned. But we find out that the the plot to bring him down, the police that went down, went bad. So now Luther has to figure out how he can catch him, knowing full well he can't get near him. And well, we and have this shows this is this is that point in where Luther uh goes and and starts to not only bend the law but break the law yeah to catch a criminal yep i i forget exactly when this was but when um that punch into the face mm-hmm. that was like one of i mean it they didn't focus on it but that was one of the most visceral physical it was like a gunshot yeah i mean it was just uh, well he he's, just he's doing that yeah he's doing that to set burgess up but I somehow missed the greater plot point of why he had his blood. What was he going to do with that blood? Yeah, that I don't, I don't know how much of that they got, went into explanation or into detail about. The way that I, my head can and the way we put it together was, in, and I know at the end where he says that the blood that they put back that he's trying to scrub away um was from a sirloin steak i don't think that was a case i think he was playing burgess with that and that's why he put the glove in the evidence bag was to get the blood so they could put it on the crime scene uh at least that's how my headcanon had it it's because I kind of he, took that is the yeah. whole thing was a, a setup to make burgess think that they were using evidence I don't, I don't think they ever actually did anything with that that glove but yeah, that was, that was yeah. It, it was it was to make him him think that the blood he saw in his UV light on on his you know stand there was his blood, so that he would yeah. clean it up and then get caught. You know, I mean, yeah, that's what I thought. I thought it was just a mind game that that way he knew that they had it, and so see, um, and this mind, yeah, the mind game is basically brought on by a conversation where uh, Alice is giving insight to you know a parasitic. Uh, gross uh, psychopath, <clears throat> and so Luther is is getting information on what's that what's that mental mindset? What kind of game do I have to play to ensnare this guy? And she says, you know, we have to you have to change the state of play. So that's what what brings all this on. However, I you know it just it felt really odd, and I thought, wait a minute, why is Ian calling this guy? Yeah, it's and a two part scheme. Well, and, and yeah. not to, not to play on the negative here, but that that was my issue with this episode in general, as far as the the a well, what we're going to call the the crime plot, right? The crime of the week yeah. plot okay. is yeah. I didn't I didn't feel like I understood <clears throat> at the end why they were even arresting him. You know what what admissible evidence did they get as justification for the arrest? Because was it the fact that he was trying to clean up the scene that they weren't supposed to even have access to because they never got a warrant? You know, I never. And again, part of that's my not, my lack of understanding of the the system that it's based around, as far as over you know. But I, I just didn't ever feel like I understood what the end result was, what he was arrested for. Yeah, the logistics of that was very murky, and I went back and rewatched it a couple of times to see if I could follow the thread well enough. And the only thing that I came away from it was it was that he was he came to the crime scene voluntarily with the cleaning agents to get rid of any traces, so. His, if they take him to court, he has to try and disprove why he was there. Uh, the fact that he was there connects right. him to what happened with that murder, the previous murder, and the first one that they talk about as well. You you forget something. He agreed to the blackmail. 
Right. Right. That's PC right there. Yeah. Right. So they have that. Uh, yeah, they have that. Also, I guess he's showing up with with tools and chemicals to sanitize a crime scene. So how do you know you're going to sanitize a crime scene if you didn't know there's a crime? And here's right. the thing. Here's the thing that I really love because people, you know, he's a monster, right? Right. Oh yes, we can agree to that. And so he is. He instantly accepts that other people are monsters. That that cop is a corrupt cop. He doesn't even like. He doesn't look into it, think about it more. He's like, nope, that is, humans are evil, I'm evil, this is, this makes sense. This seems like how a person would behave in this situation. Right. Now, really quick, I want to get, there are two people of note in this episode who who come to the fore a bit. One of them is D.S. Ripley, because we see the first real crack in their dynamic, because Ripley is not happy about the way Luther goes about trapping Burgess. And they have it out a little bit on the boat when they find the refrigerator with, unfortunately, the deceased uh, woman in it. How did you guys take that bit back and forth between Ripley and Luther where they're arguing the logistics of what they're doing? This is the first scene, I think, where or first time that I think Ripley's actually seeing that Luther's not just this perfect hero figure, but is, in fact, broken and can kind of see the reality as opposed to the, the hero worship that he started the series with. I was just reeling over the fact that they literally fridged a woman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it felt like I, this, may, this may not make any sense because we, we've never seen it before. But what if Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader worked together in space crime and mm-hmm. they are father and son and then Vader does things and it's like, wait a minute, I, I can't. You're my dad. But I can't deal with this. Like, and I and I won't cover it up, but I won't lie. Does that make sense to anybody? I mean, I know that's way out there. Well, I think with he even says that it's like, you know, I'm not going to lie for you. And then later, when he's talking to the the their version of internal affairs and kind of doing a little dance of like, well, I don't really know what you know, and you know, he's he's trying to do his best to not have to answer the question directly you know yeah right. i'm i gotta throw my lightsaber down i'm 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 a jedi like my father you know, it's that kind of thing where it's like he will go to a, one level with him but he can't go to the ultimate extremes and actually uh live in his world right the other dynamic i wanted to get to really fast and jason touched on it was the internal man martin shank who is brought in to take a look at what is happening with luther and there's an interesting interplay between those three guys, between Shank, Ripley, and, and Luther at the beginning of it, where Luther's, they're playing a bit of cat and mouse with each other, diverting Shank so they can go get their job done. But eventually it comes to a head where Luther and Shank meet up and they have a conversation about what is going on. Now, the reason why Shank is there is because, as as Moe's alluded to, Mark North, Zoe's... Uh, boyfriend gets roughed up in this and gets brought into the mix which brings alice into it because she's the one who orchestrated that and alice goes to mark and convinces him to withdraw the complaint but shank makes it very clear to luther why he was there and if they need him to come back and figure out what's going on with him he'll come back and if necessary he'll take luther down what was your uh what was your takeaway from martin shank um Basically, it's, you know, I'm going to give you enough rope to hang yourself. 
Mm. I like you know where the line is. I know where the line is. I know you're the kind to tow it, but if you cross it, I'm coming for you. It's like it's like you you've set these traps again. A mirror, if you want, of this episode, Luther. You know how to set traps against people, but you're not doing them quite right. I'm going to also allow you the same opportunity. I'm going to set traps, and it also will reduce not only your credibility, but you'll be you'll be out. You know, I mean, you will not be a cop anymore, and you may even go to the pokey. Yeah, and we've praised the part actors a lot in, in this conversation, but I'll, I'll say it again here. I really was was enjoyed the performance that the actor playing Shank brought, and even though, of course, you're rooting against him because. Luther is the hero of the series, but and I put that in air quotes. But um, you know, at the same time, I really enjoyed the performance and and any any scene that Shank was in. I actually were some of my favorite ones of this episode. And now I will give you I will give you a little bit of a teaser, not a spoiler. This is not the last we have seen of Martin Shank. Oh, I would be I would have been upset if it was. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's going to keep doing things that are going to get on his radar to show back, show so, back up again and go like, uh, uh, why am I still here? You know, why are you still here? You know, the the thing I really liked also is when he goes back and he pleads with Zoe and uh, her boyfriend, you know, someone's life is on the line. I didn't do this. I promise you I didn't do this. Yeah, that was a very good scene where you finally... Not only Zoe is starting to realize that John is not what people said he was, but also that John has taken what Alice has said to him to heart because he says exactly what Alice told him was the reason why is you didn't tell her you weren't straight with her and he just comes out and he's straight with her and she doesn't know how to take that. And I did. I liked how he's like, "Look, I'm not a great guy, and I've done some bad things, but I've never actually lied. I am telling you this thing. I have never lied to you before. I am not lying to you now." Yeah, and I did like when Alice came to visit Mark. There was that one moment between the two of them where she tries to sound apologetic, and he's, "You're not sorry." She's, "No, I'm not sorry. I was just trying to <laughs> empathize, just straight as a razor. Just no, I wasn't. I, I no, I don't care. I, I, but I'm trying. Yeah, I'm and, trying." I mean, and that's that just leads to the threat. Like he he has no he has no doubt that she would kill him in his sleep for practically any reason. Right. And Luther at the end of this meets with Alice again and and tells her that he knows and has the proof that he paid the the people that assaulted Mark and says this has gotta end. And they both know they both admit to each other that they scare each other, but they also can't break free of one another either. And I think before we, we close up, just going back to episode one, remember how he got her to, st- uh, to stay in line? Yeah. She, he threatened that he wouldn't arrest her for the murder, he'd arrest someone else. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yeah. It was, he would, he would play against her narcissism and not give her the glory of saying that she was the one who killed her parents. Even if it meant finding somebody innocent... Of the crime and tagging it on them, or and when someone guilty of a different murder, right. and just make it for that one too. And Which remember to what Luther does than- when Alice says you would do that just to to make yourself feel like you're worthy of Zoe again. And he, what does he do? He takes the ring that he put in his pocket 
out, puts it on his finger in front of her and goes, in a second. Mm. Which leads to the end of this episode, which it's not Luther and Alice on a bridge. It's Luther and Zoe at his place with Alice playing the peeping Tom as things get a little serious. And did anybody take away from that last scene with Alice looking on, looking more than a little envious of the fact that Luther actually got what he wanted? See, I thought maybe she was almost kind of happy, if she could be happy, that she got them back together. I and disagree. I think she just, she just killed Zoe in her brain. Well, ah. it's, it's possibly both in that, you know, she's happy. She's her, her plan succeeded, right? She's played. She's proven that she can manipulate everybody to get them to where she wanted, which was proving that she could put Zoe back with Luther. But it may so, not be what she turns out she really wanted. OK, I may be revealing a little bit too much about my, my own mental process, but it's pretty obvious what her plan is. Get her Zoe and Luther back together so he feels comfortable. Take her out in some accident. He's all broken. She comes to him. He now loves her. But she, but you're but you're playing that as that she is a normal person, and I believe that she, she believe she. If Luther is happy, she is happy. She doesn't want him to be broken. She needs him to be happy, and to, then I'll I'll go a step further to her narcissistic plan. Is I did that for you. Yeah, no, she doesn't. I need, did that. She didn't. She does not need to Luther happy. She needs to be the one who made Luther happy. There exactly. And that's that is a very big difference. Mm. Well, and she's the puppeteer behind everything, you know, making everybody dance to her, you know, her little tune. Right. And again, you know, God, I looked at give it uh, and God take it away. I looked at this the the storyline between Luther and Zoe to me seems like the 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 weakest of the bunch because it goes back and forth so much. Honestly, I didn't see this episode ending the way it did because I don't think that their relationship earned that payoff. Did did you guys come to a similar conclusion, or or what what did you take from it? Well, normally I would say that it's too early, right? Episode three's you know kind of kind of quick to get to this point, but keeping in mind that we're talking about six episode seasons, true. That you're at the midpoint, and so, they were married for what twenty years or something. Was that the number? I yeah, what the, yeah. So that's yeah. that's a powerful. I mean, that's a powerful. That would be enough to weigh on anyone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we've gotten through the first three episodes. So, I mean, how are you guys looking forward to the next three as we wrap up season one? And then season two and season three are only four episodes each. So they get more abbreviated as we go. So it's almost like they're more concentrated in terms of stories. But what are your predictions? What are you looking at for the, the final three? I won't predict anything because obviously I know certain things. But I don't remember intricacies, and those are the things that I'm looking for or forward to. Um, I believe Zoe and Alice, we get a maximum of one by the series finale. Well, you just stole mine because I was going to say that we're going to get more Alice and, and Zoe won't make it out of the series, but um, or out of the season, but... It, I, I, I mean, it could be that Luther takes Alice out to protect Zoe also. So, we, I mean, it's – I can see it going either way. Yeah, I mean, I think – I'm going to say probably at the end of the season, you know, he, he's going to finally catch Alice in something and get her arrested. 
is it Zoe come out of it or not? Uh, I think I'll say yes. Just flip a coin, 50-50. I'll say she gets out of it. And, and don't okay. forget, we've got Madsen coming back also. Right. So we have the majority of people saying that, that Zoe's not going to make it through season one. And Luther and Alice potentially might not make it through the end of the season either. Okay, interesting. I'm not saying so. the season. I'm saying the series. And I guess that's British. I'm saying like... Right. So I'm saying that one of them doesn't make it to the end of this... neck At, at the latest, I could see it going all the way to this current the season that's about to come out. Okay. Because there's right, not well, a lot of episodes. No. So, all right. Well, when we reconvene next, I guess we will uh, we'll find out how that all goes. Yeah, let's see how smart everybody is. Uh-oh. And with that smarty panty stuff, gents, it's always good to have you back and discussing a really cool show at that at, at its at its root. Because poopy shows are just no fun, and this one's not poopy. I want to thank Sean Shibley, Eric Scott, Jason Johnson, and our illustrious guide through the Luther universe, Devin Higgins. In all fairness, this show, this episode was a little poopy. <laughs> it was right. more bloody yeah. than poopy. <laughs> it, it, had, it had stains. It, it just had, it, had, it just, you know, just tire tread stains. 